Matthew chapter 26, 14 and 15 from the New Living Translation says, Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples, went to the leading priest and asked, How much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. Woo-wee. Lord, please bring a word for your people, Lord. Allow me not to worry about the delivery. Allow me to bring it the way that you put it together. Allow me not to worry about theatrics or trying to make sure we entertain. But bring a word, Lord, that will change us and take us to a new level in you. In the name of Jesus, we do pray. Amen. As you take your seat, I want you to ask yourself this question. Can you wait for it? Can you wait for it? Look, in 1972, Stratford University psychologist Walter Michelle conducted a series of studies on deferred gratification that have been popularized outside of the academic community and become known as the marshmallow test. Uh, It was conducted at Bing Nursery School with children ages 46. And what happened is they, they offered each child a single marshmallow. And they told the the, the child or the children, if we give you the one marshmallow now, if you wait, we'll give you two later. Now, sometimes when the researchers walked out of the room, some of the kids ate it immediately. I'm sure I probably would have been one of the one marshmallow test people. Uh, But but, but some of them had mustered up the willpower to try to resist. And, and And some would sing songs to themselves, talk to themselves the entire time, cover their eyes, Uh, play games. Some of them even tried to go to sleep and and to resist those temptations. The objective of the experiment was to see if the ability to defer gratification correlated to long-term academic achievement. The academic academic record of the 216, 216 children that participated, those all the way from the elementary school to high school. And they realized that those who were able to resist and wait on the two marshmallows had more academic success. They they, they had higher SAT scores. In fact, this test began to show that it was two times more accurate than the IQ test. So it didn't matter how smart you were, you weren't going to make it unless you learned how to defer your gratification. The two marshmallow kids later on, we realized that they 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 realized that they were even more socially competent. They, 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 their, their marriages were more healthy. They had better success. They, they, they had happier jobs and careers when they were in their uh, early 40s. And, and, and what the net result of those studies is, in the, the goal-directed, self-imposed delay of gratification is a powerful predictor of future success in any endeavor. The biblical word for this is exosia. And the best English exosia, it's on the Greek, and the best English translation may be supernatural self-control, right? It's something we, can, we, cannot, uh, we cannot simply conjure up for ourselves. It's one of the nine aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. And I don't think it's coincidental that it's the last one listed. It takes the longest. It might be the hardest to harvest, I mean, come on, somebody. You don't want to wait, especially in this Twitter age. You don't want to wait on nothing. The New Testament makes a distinction between the two types of power. Dunamis is the power to do things beyond our natural ability. 
right? Exosia is the willpower to do, to not do things that we have the ability to do. So if you say something to me and I don't clap back, that's exousia, right? I need to exercise more exousia on Facebook. <laughs> I get it right 99 times, but that 100 times, I just, ah, oh, Lord Jesus. But whether we're starting a diet, pursuing a goal, or breaking a bad habit, we need exousia. Our long-term success will be dictated by our ability to defer gratification. It's true relationally, professionally, and spiritually. And it's the heart of going all in and all out for God. Instead of living for the here and now, it's living for the day that we will stand before the judgment seat of God. In the timeless words of C.T. Studd, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. It's really as simple as that. Do you want one marshmallow now or two marshmallows later? If the marshmallow experiment had been done on the 12 apostles, Judas Iscariot would have fallen into the one marshmallow group, hands down. He couldn't keep his hand out the cookie jar. You know, John snitched on him, right? He said he was stealing anyway. So, so when he stole the 30 pieces, when he asked, he, he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. See, he, he had never bought in anyway. He was already stealing from the money pot. The betrayal of Jesus by Judas was not a spur-of-the-moment mistake. He betrayed Jesus each and every time he stole the money from the money pot. And while most of us can't imagine pickpocketing Jesus, we shortchange him thousands of ways. We rob God of his glory that he demands and deserves by not living our, to our full God-given potential. No matter how we slice it, sin leaves us at the short end of the stick. Sin always overpromises and underdelivers, while righteousness pays dividends for eternity. Yet we sell out for one marshmallow now instead of holding out for two marshmallows later. Come on, somebody. I want some marshmallows. Look, Esau sold his birthright for a pot of porridge, some stew, his whole birthright. Samson sold his secret for a one-night stand. Judas sold his soul for 30 pieces of silver. What were they thinking? The answer is they weren't. Nothing is more illogical than sin. It is the epitome of poor judgment. It's temporary insanity with eternal consequences, and we don't have an alibi. Only thing saves us is the cross. It's not worth it, and we know it, yet we still do it. We sell out for so little instead of going in for so much. C.S. Lewis described it this way for our tendencies to sell God short. This is what he said. He said, it was seen that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition. When infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. 30 pieces of silver, that was Judas's price point, was ours. Jewish readers would have recognized it as the exact amount that, that you had to pay somebody for accidentally killing one of your slaves from Mosaic Law. So Judas sold his soul for the replacement value of a slave, right? The silver coins were most likely sanctuary shekels, right? Since he got it from the high priest, 
And although some estimates are higher, Sister Cat, most of the coins would probably only be worth 72 cents, which means he sold out Jesus and his soul for $21.60. We know very little about Judas from Scripture, but so many theories abound. Some scholars suggest Judas was a wheat-wheeled coward whose wife was, rolling, was, was ruling him, and he was henpecked, as the old folk would say. Others believe he betrayed him because he was greedy. Others suggest that he had revolutionary aspiration. He wanted a political savior, and when Jesus didn't meet his expectation, he went AWOL. And we do the same thing, don't we? When God doesn't conform to our expectations, we attempt to betray what we believe in. Like Judas, we are in it for what we can get out of it. So when God doesn't grant our wishes like a divine genie in a bottle, we are tempted to turn our back on him. Come on, somebody. We know how it is sometimes when God don't come through, when we thought he was going to come through. We've been praying for this thing for five minutes. <laughs> it ain't happened yet. <laughs> Some of us have been waiting five years. Can you think about it? Back in the day when people were waiting 40 years like Moses, 400 years like the Israelites. Oh, man, but we can't wait five minutes. See, this is what separates the boys from the men, or maybe should I say the sheep from the goats. How do you react when God doesn't meet your expectations? I'm going to let that sing in. If you truly accepted the invitation to follow Jesus, you would keep on going through hurricanes, through hell, through hazardous conditions. If you have, come on somebody, you will go through hell and high water if you're really following him. That's how you can tell what you called to do. Come on somebody, when somebody get on your nerves and you quit your job, that wasn't your calling. But when you can take it day by day, you understand that I'm in it to win it. I'm here because God has called me and I'm not going to want you to follow me. I'm going to follow you. I don't care how bad the weather gets, God, but keep on pressing toward the mark of your holy call because I know that he who began a good work in me shall finish it. You know what? It's difficult to, to psychoanalyze someone who lived thousands of years ago, but it's safe to say I believe Judah was a uh, spiritual schizophrenic. And so are we. Our love is mixed with lies. We steal from the one we're supposed to surrender our lives to. We say we went eat of the tree like Adam and Eve, but we don't bring our 10% every Sunday. Uh, go ahead and eat the apple, Eve and Adam. I don't know. They messed up the whole world. They kept touching. All they had to do was leave that alone. Well, 100% of your money is God, yet he only asked for 10%, and you eat of that tree every day. Ain't it ironic that money kind of really do grow on trees? It's made, uh, y'all don't hear me, I know y'all get all these, you know, text money, but, but really, it, it's made out of trees. It's funny how we say what we wouldn't do, yet we do it, and don't realize what we do. Mm. See, we betray him in our own unique ways. There's a little Judas in all of us, mm -hmm. even if you got a big old hat on. It's a Judas in you, girl, I'm telling you. <laughs> And any of us are capable of betraying God if we allow the fear of people to erode the fear of God, selfish ambition to strong-arm godly ambition, or sinful desires to short-circuit God-ordained passions. The betrayal of Judas was foretold by the prophet Zechariah 500 years before it happened, but that prophecy doesn't mean we should fall victim to fatalism. God has given us free will, so for better or for worse, the choice is ours. 
History turns on a dime, but you know what that dime is? Your decision. And those decisions, right or wrong, determine our destiny. Some defining decisions are obvious, like choosing a career or choosing a spouse, but most are made in the shadows the way Judas did. Of course, they eventually come into the light, and it's those defining decisions that cast the longest shadows. I think of Joseph resisting the flirtatious uh, overtures of Potiphar's wife. He had no idea how that one choice would alter his life and the course of history. And doing the right thing didn't pay dividends for, dividends for 17 years. In fact, I'm sure he thought he made the wrong decision for a minute because he went to jail for doing the right thing. But our decisions, right or wrong, always catch up to us sooner or later. That two marshmallow later decision that he made would later save two nations from famine, Egypt and Canaan, because God put him where he was supposed to be because he resisted the temptation. Can I tell you how many blessings have we missed because we short-circuit our blessing because we fall into sin? Come on, somebody. Sometimes it takes us longer to get where God wants us to go because we never get our lives in order enough for him to bless us because God will never put more on, more, more on us than we can bear. And sometimes if God put us in a blessed place before our time, we we won't be able to handle. A righteous person is like a tree planted beside rivers of living water that will yield fruit in its season. When is your season? When you get your heart right, when you get your mind right, when you get your life right. God doesn't deal with linear time and space. God deals with circular time and space. He's interstellar. He sees the past, the present, and the future at the same time. He deals with Cairo's time. So the minute you mature enough, he'll give it to you. Even if you're a little shepherd boy at 19, years old. He'll give it to you even if you're old like Moses. He'll give it to you if you're old like Abraham and Sarah. It doesn't matter what your age is. It matters what your maturity is. Joel done left me. He left me. Joel has left the building. I think of David making a split-second decision not to kill Saul when he had him cornered at the crags of the wild goats. That's a cliff if you don't know. He had him cornered in the cave. He could have killed him. He could have claimed self-defense. Nobody would have saw him. Nobody would have seen what happened but God. And he even repented for cutting his robe. He cut his robe just to show him, I could have killed you if I wanted to, but I didn't. But even though he made a great decision, you know, he still had some one marshmallow decisions too. You know, he was a peeping Tom looking at his soldier's wife uh, taking a bath in front of her name, Bathsheba, and she was taking a bath. <laughs> Don't name your daughter Bathsheba so she can take a bath in the house. Lord have mercy. But he, 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 he took her in and, and, and got her pregnant. And then after making that decision, he decided to kill Uriah because when he tried to get Uriah to have sex with her so it looked like it was, it was Uriah's baby, he, he, he didn't do it because he didn't want to leave his soldiers out on the field by themselves because he was an honorable man. He said, no, I can't take in pleasure while my men are out there. And so David told him to go. They put him on the front lines and they drew away from him so he would be killed. Do you know one bad decision curates other bad decisions? And worse decisions? 
After Judas betrayed Jesus, he made the worst decision and the last decision of his life. He ended his life by hanging himself in a potter's field. <laughs> it's not, it's more than a, a bad ending. It's, it's, it's a standing warning. The good news is that God can forgive our bad decisions. And one good decision can totally change the trajectory of our lives. And that one good decision will lead to better decisions. But it starts by making the right decision when nobody looking. Oh, yeah, it's easy to make the right decision when people looking. Oh, I ain't going to steal this cookie because somebody looking at me. But if this lady just turned her nose itself around. <laughs> See, there's a past cause and future effect to every decision that goes way beyond what is discernible in the here and now. Decisions have long and often complex genealogies, and every decision is a genesis moment that has the potential to radically alter not just our destiny, but the course of human history as well. What final decision do you need to make? What risks do you need to take? What sacrifices do you need to make? In 1931, Irish author George William Russell wrote a cryptic piece of poetry titled Germinal. In ancient shadows and twilights, where childhood has strayed, the world's great sorrows were born, and its heroes were made. The lost boyhood of Judas, Christ was betrayed. Judas didn't decide to betray Christ after following him for three years. The seeds of betrayal were planted in the soil of his youth. Now, that don't excuse Judas. <coughs> Man, you're making me cough. And he could have decided not to do it. But our, <laughs> but our most important choices, good and bad, often have the longest genealogies. The Austrian psychotherapist Alfred Adler was famous for beginning counseling sessions with new patients by asking the same question, what's your earliest memory? No matter how the patient answered, Adler responded, and so life is. Adler believed that our earliest memories have unusual staying power. And in my experience, that's certainly true. That's why we always want to take care of you. We always want to give them positive memories because you can retrace a lot of problems to your childhood. We know, the next, we know next to nothing about Judas as a toddler or a teenager or 20-something, but I'm guessing he threw temper tantrum when he didn't get what he wanted because that infantile self-centeredness is still evident when the woman with the alabaster jaw anoints Jesus. Judas had the unmitigated gall, right, to, to trip out about it. He said, what perfume? That, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Judas should have won an Oscar. Judas didn't care about the poor. Judah was already stealing the money bag. John snitched on him. He told us that he was stealing money. He didn't care about the poor. He wanted to be on Pawn Stars. He wanted to take that perfume and get some money. He would have made way more than $21.60. That perfume was worth a whole year's wages, and you were wasting it on Jesus' feet. I could have stole that. <laughs> I'm just saying. It's much easier to act like a Christian than to react like one. Help me, I'm trying to tell you. It's much easier to act like a Christian than to react like a Christian. Oh, come on, somebody. I told you I'd get it right 99 times. If I can get 100, I'd be all right. 
And Judas' reaction in this situation is so revealing. He wasn't all in. He was in it for what he could get out of it. Are we any different? See, the Talmud teaches, and the Talmud is the Jewish teaching, the Talmud teaches that there are four kinds of people in the world. The person that says, what's yours is mine. The second person says, what's yours is yours. The third person says, what's mine is mine. And the fourth person says, what's mine is yours. The first person is obviously covetous, and that's Judas all day. The second and third person seem morally neutral, but Jewish rabbis believe it to be a fundamental misunderstanding of the created order. Nothing belongs to us, not even us. You know you were bought with a price. Huh? You don't even belong to yourself. That's why he said you should, you, 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 giving your body as a living sacrifice is your reasonable service because the only reason you're still here is because Jesus died for your sins because we should be dead and in hell already. But even though we mess up the first life, he still gives us a second life because to be absent from the body to be present with God if you know who Jesus is. Even though you fall in sin, even though you messed up, he walked down 40 and two burning generations, enrolled himself in the flesh, came out Emmanuel, God is with us. Walked on the way of Via Della Rosa, where suffering, where they put nails in his hand. He died for you just so you could be all right. He didn't call. He calls you righteous. He, you are justified by faith. You're not righteous. He calls you righteous. He calls you what you not even know. You're justified just because Jesus bought you with a price. You don't even own yourself. You, my, my God, it ain't your car. It's not your house. It's not your glasses. It's not your faith. Everything about you, everything you have, belongs to God, yet you act so stingy. The point is, the fourth person is the only person that's living righteous because they understand it's more blessed to give than to receive. And the more you give, the more God will bless you because it doesn't belong to you anyway. And when you give to God, when you give to somebody what God told you to give, you should never give grudgingly because it doesn't belong to you anyway. It's just what God has loaned to you. That ain't your house. That ain't your car. You got to do with whatever God tells you to do with it. And God say, give something away, you better give it away because it ain't yours anyhow. You are a steward. You don't own anything, not even yourself. Stop giving yourself to every Tom, Dick, and Harry. You don't belong to you. That's God's body. Stop messing it up, smoking a pipe and drinking liquor and getting too drunk all the time. That body is not yours. You were bought with a price. He owns you. He owns your car. That ain't your house. That ain't your job. That ain't your church. Lord have mercy. Joel left the building once again. <laughs> the original sin committed by Adam and Eve was buying into the enemy's lie that God was holding out on them. They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because they did not believe that God was all in. And the apple didn't fall from, far from the proverbial tree. If you believe God is holding out on you, you won't go all in for him. So the second uh, uh, sin recorded in Scripture and the first sin outside of the Garden of Eden is the stepchild of the original sin. Abel was all in. 
He brought the best of the best to God. He gave God his choice lambs. But Cain held out. He gave God his leftovers, the worst part of the harvest. Nothing has changed. The choice is still ours. Hold out on God or go all in. There's no middle ground. God don't deal with lukewarm people. He already told you. He don't deal with lukewarm people. He wants you to be hot or cold. He'd rather you be cold than midwarm. He don't, he don't deal with that. See, isn't that the lesson we learned from Ananias and Sapphira? They gifted the proceeds from the property sale to the church, but God struck them dead. Why? Because they bald-faced lied about being all in. They claimed they had emptied up everything, but they kept a little pocket change. See, this deacon spells, it reveals that the true value of an offering isn't measured by how much you give, it's measured by how much you keep. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, it, it's not measured by how much you give. Your best offering is measured by how much you keep. That's why the widow who only gave two small copper coins was honored for her generosity. She gave less than anybody else, but she kept nothing for herself. That's why the boy with two fish and five loaves of bread was honored by Jesus because he gave everything. It wasn't much to feed 5,000 people, not even count the women and children, but he gave everything so God honored. You better watch out. When you give God everything about yourself, he has to honor you. When you give everything about, I'm not just talking about your money. I'm talking about your time. I'm talking about your talent. And yeah, I'm talking about your money. When you give God all of your gift. My God, he'll give you a good measure of blessing. Press down, shake it together, and run it over. Yeah. By definition, a sacrifice must involve a sacrifice. See, we all want to say obedience is greater than sacrifice because we want to act like we don't have to sacrifice nothing. But most of the time, obedience makes you give a greater sacrifice than the sacrifice you would have made anyway. So stop trying to use that to act like you ain't got to make no sacrifice. Time. Oh, obedience is the greatest sacrifice. Well, give what God said, give, you silly Christian. Look, look. Cain gave what he did not want or could not use. There was no sacrifice in the sacrifice. He kept the best and gave the worst. And that's never good enough for God. In a sermon delivered on the mountainside, Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. Men, don't fall in love with a gold digger. Because if you really love somebody, you will give until it hurts. Oh, I'm telling you, Jesus certainly did. I know this is a subject, <laughs> it's subject to misunderstanding, but if your treasure isn't in it, then our heart isn't in it. Jesus said it, not me. And you're holding out like Cain, or even worse, you're selling out like Judas. Sometimes love is measured in dollars. You need to put your money where your mouth is and your heart will follow. Just keep it at 100. The story of the Magi often is relegated to a Christmas homily, but the wise men stand in stark contrast to Judas. Judas sold out for some silver coins. The Magi bought in with gifts of gold. At first glance, it seems like the Magi bring the wrong gifts to a baby shower, right? What kid wants some frankincense and myrrh? 
Come on, somebody. Could they bring him an a, 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 a ancient Jewish action figure, David with a sling, Shamgar with an Osgold, Samson with a jawbone of a donkey? You know what I'm saying? It reminds me, though, of, of this little quip, this little poem, or this little saying that I saw. It says, the three wise women. And, and the writer wrote, do you know what would have happened if it had been three wise women instead of three wise men? They would have asked for directions, arrived on time, helped deliver the baby, cleaned the stable, made a casserole. That's what I knew was a white person when they said casserole. <laughs> and brought practical gifts. He <laughs> <laughs> would have made some chicken, some collard greens. Emphasize this. <laughs> Gold, frankincense, and myrrh seem like misguided gifts, but stop and think about it. How does a minimum wage carpenter just, who just paid a huge tax bill fund a trip to a foreign country? These gifts were just what Mary and Joseph needed. They were their golden ticket to Egypt, and it's the only way they could have escaped the genocide that ensued. Those gifts saved their lives. Now, let me connect the dots, right? The Magi's gifts were Mary and Joseph's miracle. The gold, frankincense, and myrrh saved them, right? And the same is true. Giving is one way to get in God's miracles, right? To get in on God's miracles. Those who invest in our commercial kitchen are not just investing in commercial equipment and refrigerators and vents. They are putting their stock in souls that would be transformed by God's grace. People who are hungry and homeless will renew their strength and be rejuvenated. God will help guide them to opportunity that will give them a brand new start and they will be able to provide for themselves and their families. So you're not just buying into some equipment. You're buying into a vision. You're buying into the kingdom of God. And oh, y'all don't hear me. I'm just leave that alone. Maybe it's time to quit looking for an easy way out and go the extra mile. Maybe it's time to stop holding out and start doubling down. Maybe it's time to stop expecting Jesus to follow you and make a decision that you need to follow him. Let, let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. Ooh, 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 ooh. I'm going to end with this. Because Apple been kind of getting on my nerves a little bit. So I just started thinking about Apple because my phone been tripping. The devil. See, what, what, a, what a digging chair. <laughs> we already know you ain't saying. You a car salesman. Hey, so in 1976, <laughs> I can talk about Apple, but Android people can't. <laughs> it just mess. We got to edit all this because of Deacon Dawson. Y'all knew that. I'm just, messing. I'm just messing with you. That's who I am. I'm sorry. In 1976, <laughs> Apple and Company was, was co-founded by three men. Steve Jobs, who eventually became the chairman and CEO and the most famous of the three. But you probably heard of Steve Wozniak, right? Wozniak, the mastermind who invented the Apple I and the Apple II computers. But you probably haven't heard of the third member of the Apple Trinity. Ronald Wayne. It's Wayne who sketched the first logo, created the first manual, and wrote the original partnership agreement. He wrote the agreement. Ronald Wayne was a 10% shareholder in Apple. There are now 940 million active shares trading consistently above 500 per share. 
So that 10% stake would be worth at least $47 billion. But less than two weeks after getting his 10% share, Ronald Wayne sold out for $800. I know he got a divorce. <laughs> I'm sorry. Ronald, don't be Ronald Wayne. But most importantly, don't be Judas Iscariot. Wayne's loss pales in comparison to Judas. Judas had the kingdom of God at his fingertips and let it slip away. He was walking hand in hand with the Son of God. Don't give away your kingdom birthright for a little one-night stand. Stop giving up your blessing for whatever marshmallow test that you keep failing. When it's all said and done, the only regret would be what you didn't give back to God because when you give back to God what God has already given you he'll give it back to you press down shake it together and running over I don't know about you but I don't want no marshmallows I want my kingdom blessing I want my overflow I want my ever flowing blessing I want what God has promised me I'm not going to mess with the marshmallow of sin. I'm not going to mess with the marshmallow of fornication. I'm not going to mess with the marshmallow of lying. How many marshmallows are you eating? Are you deferring your instant gratification? Are you holding out so God can bless you? I don't know about you, but I want a blessing. I won't have room to receive. When he say, bring my 10%, I'm going to bring 10%, but I'm also bringing offering. Why? Because I can't never, ever outgive God. Stop selling out to sin. Stop selling God short. It's time to go all in for the all in all. He died for you if he walked up the way of suffering, if he took the nails for you, if he took the crown of thorns for you. Surely, you can leave that one marshmallow alone. Be blessed. God wants to bless you. God wants to give you an overflow. Stop touching what you shouldn't touch. Hold out on it. Whew. <laughs> Whatever you give to God is going to come back multiplied. If God take you to bless somebody, even if it's your enemy, give it to him. It's coming back. Multiply. It's coming back. Press down. Shaking together and running over. You can't be God-given. I don't know what your marshmallow is, but if you can leave that marshmallow alone, there's an everlasting blessing. Not only in the next life, but in this life right here. When you're obedient to God, he's obligated to bless you. He said it. One of the things he definitely said it, he said, look here. You robbing God. He said, how are we robbing God in your tithes and offerings? God said, I bless you. I give you blessings. 
I take care of you even when you don't take care of the things I ask you to take care of. I still bless you. Yet, you don't give me what's mine. Some of your marshmallows in your pocket. <laughs> some of your marshmallows on some lady's nightstand. But wherever your marshmallows are, lead them where they are and follow Jesus and he will take care of you. Is there one that wants to leave the life that they're living alone and wants to give your life to Jesus? Is there one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, or nine, that want to give your life to Jesus? You can't do it on your own. Like we said in the beginning, you can't will yourself to do right. The exousia power of being able to defer your gratification can only be given to you by Jesus. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Hallelujah.